So before I open up this episode with the topical piece that we're going to cover, I want to get this out of the way uh, as quickly and as cleanly as possible. And I really don't want to dignify this by mentioning it again. And that is that I completely unequivocally in the strongest terms in the most that I possibly can uh, condemn Hamas. I denounce everything that Hamas has done with regards to the killing of civilians, with regards uh, to the group's own oppression of the Palestinian people in Gaza. Now, with that being said, this is a big focal point of how the conflict has played out in the media today. You're, you'll we'll see Palestinian activists go on the media. Um, particularly, Western media doesn't feature too many. Um, I do have to, I hate this so much, but I do have to shout out Piers Morgan, which I, I really do not like that man. But I will admit that he has had the most pro-Palestinian people on his show. But the standard for Palestinian people in the media is that that is always the first question is, do you condemn Hamas? There is this, there is this assumption that they are there to defend Hamas and their killing of civilians. And that simply is not the case. And it's very telling of that dominant narrative and that internalized racism that the first question that you have to ask anybody who wants to talk about Palestinian liberation, about the human rights of Palestinians, is whether or not they condone killing civilians. And that is a double standard, because you don't see that with people who are advocating for Israel. It would never happen, and it really has never happened on a consistent normative point where Israeli pundits will go on to, whether that is MSNBC, CNN, CTV, Fox News. You will never see it where Israeli pundits have to condemn the actions of Israel, which, if we're talking about civilian deaths, nefarious actions, they are morally equivalent of Hamas. You will never see an Israeli advocate being asked whether they condemn the use of white phosphorus against civilian populations in Gaza, as well as Lebanon. You will never see a Israeli advocate being asked if they condemn the expansion of settler settlements in the West Bank. You will never see them asked if they condemn the apartheid regime that is being used to oppress Palestinians today. You will never see that. It doesn't happen because there is a very clear double standard in the media. And with that being said, I'm going to say it once, and I feel like I should not have to say it again, that there is no excuse for killing civilians. There is no excuse for the torture that was inflicted against Israeli civilians by Hamas. Now, I, Michael Brooks said a really good thing about this, is that there is no, there's no justification in analysis. Analysis is not justification. So if I talk about the things that Hamas did, and I acknowledge the very truth that these things did not happen in a vacuum, that there is a multitude of systems that went in to resulting in what happened on October 7th, that's not justification for what happened. That is simply analyzing to start a foundation of understanding what is happening in Israel-Palestine, we have to break through these meta-narratives, these grand narratives that we've been exposed to. And that's such an important part to building a comprehensive understanding of what is happening in the region 
that is free from the normalized Western biases that you are exposed to every single day and that you have probably grown up with, especially living here in what we now call Canada, living in the United States, living in any sort of uh, quote unquote developed Western nation. And I think you need that foundation because you're never going to be able to look at this through a clear lens if you do not really go in and unsettle all of these narratives uh, that you've been fed. And a lot of those narratives really do come from uh, both state propaganda from the Israeli settler project, from the Canadian government, and from the American government. And that is precisely by design. Uh, in this post 9-11 world, we are living with a lot of normalized and internalized uh, Islamophobia, Arab phobia. In a lot of ways, we are really trained not to see uh, people who practice Islam, Muslims, Arabs, uh, people living anywhere really in the global south as equal humans on this planet. And so to start off this episode on unsettling those narratives and confronting those internal biases, I want to talk about something that is called Hasbara, which is the official public diplomacy of Israel. It is propaganda, and it is particularly tailored to the sensibilities and the values of people living in Western imperial countries, Canada, United States, uh, United Kingdom, where any country where Israel tends to get its military, economic aid, uh, diplomatic aid. And what's important about the term Hasbara is that it has fallen out of use in the last couple of decades. Uh, it's now commonly referred to as public diplomacy by the Israeli state. Uh, and it is a Hebrew word that actually has no direct translation in English. The closest translation in English that you could get to what Hasbara means is explaining. Uh, and that means it's a communicative strategy. You know, it seeks to explain the actions of the Israeli settler state. Uh, it seeks to communicate why uh, they are justified. And my particular problem with that is that it is propaganda that advocates for the genocide of the Palestinian people, for excusing the brutal colonial actions of the Israeli state, and it is propaganda that dehumanizes the Palestinian people as well as Arabs surrounding the area of Israel. Now, I do want to share with you um, something anecdotal that I think really does highlight the prevalence of Hasbara and its use on people living here in North America. And that is an exchange that I had the other day with uh, an older woman and we were talking about uh, the Israeli-Palestine, I know, I think it's problematic to call it conflict, but for sake of clarity, we'll say the Israeli-Palestine conflict. And she, like, it is very, very disheartening to hear how internalized it is for people here in Western countries. Because the idea is that Islamic people and Arabs do not exist apart from the extremists that we are seeing and that are sensationalized on the broadcasts on the news every single day. And I think that's so representative of an inability to see them as human. I think it's extremely dehumanizing. So I had this exchange 
And I said, I think, you know, we were talking about the bombing in Gaza. And I said, I think uh, it's insane. I think it's criminal. I think it's terrible what the Israeli state is doing to the people of Gaza with this bombing campaign. And her response, and this is the response from any like classical liberal when you bring this up, is the response is always, but Hamas. And it always starts with, but Hamas. And the truth is, is that I think they've killed, what is it, like 30 Hamas fighters to 700 Palestinians. Like it's an insane ratio. It's a ratio that won't even allow you to argue that they are targeting Hamas fighters. Uh, it's very clearly targeting civilians. But she said, well, they have to go in and get Hamas. And I, re I reiterated to her, I said, well, you know, Gaza, if you look at the median age of the demographics of Gaza, the median age is 18 years old, which means that is mostly children. So when you see the headline of 700 people killed in Gaza, you can assume that at the least 40%, 50%, 300 to 350 of those 700 killed were under the age of 18. 350 at least, at the very least, were children. And the response to that was, I had to take a minute to just like digest it because the response to that was that children, and I'm of course paraphrasing here, but was that children are effective militants. And she said Hamas, they have to go in and bomb them because Hamas is quote unquote, raising the largest army in the world. And of course, that is referring to the 2.2 uh, million figure, the 2.2 million people who live in Gaza. And that's referring to all of them, which for the most part are mostly civilians, referring to all of them as militants, as potential terrorists. And there was no consideration for humanity there. There was no view that that was problematic. And this is, this is directly parroted from the Israeli state that makes this argument all the time, that we have to kill children because children grow up to become Hamas terrorists, which is mind-boggling. It's so dehumanizing. It is extremely Islamophobic and Arabophobic to not be able to separate Hamas from children, from five-year-olds, to justify the bombing and the murder of five-year-olds because you believe there's a chance that they will grow up to become quote-unquote terrorists. And that is just, I think it's insane to me. And it was very jarring and very, very, it was a moment of clarity to see just how quickly and without a second thought that uh, older people here in what we now call Canada will resort to a genocidal narrative that they will perpetuate something that is in its essence racist, uh, dehumanizing, and genocidal toward Palestinians as a justification for Israeli bombing campaigns in Gaza. And I think it's so representative of an inability to think critically and to see Arabs as people when your result, when your retort to the idea that killing children is wrong is that these children will grow up to become terrorists. It's you're constructing them as the other. You are lumping them in to one sum. You are painting with one brush here. And it's it's wrong. And it's just, it was amazing to me how not a single second thought was taken and how that, that, that take was given so 
casually and so nonchalantly as if you were discussing your lunch plans for the day. It's crazy to me. And I think, yeah, it was just such a moment of clarity. Uh, And then she went on to say that Hamas is brainwashing the children of Gaza to become terrorists, that they're being brainwashed to hate Israel. And uh, she did use the word Nazi, but I'm going to paraphrase here, that they were using these Nazi-style brainwashing propaganda techniques to condition children in Gaza to hate Israel. Now, I have a problem with that narrative, and it doesn't... It's not true, and this is the reason. I think it's wild to claim that Hamas is making children in Gaza hate Israel, and that it's not Israel that is making children in Gaza hate Israel. It's like It does not uh, manifest in your mind that the state that consistently bombs a place that is about 365 square kilometers, one of the most densely packed areas in the world, that routinely bombs you, that sends in soldiers routinely, that controls everything that goes into your country, comes out of your country, that has had it on a blockade since 2006, 2007. And this is a country in which you cannot vote. You are given no representation. They control every aspect of your life, whether directly or indirectly. And I think it's extremely disingenuous and it is a big lack of critical thinking to claim that it is Hamas that is conditioning these people to hate Israel rather than the brutal, colonial, illegal policy that Israel takes toward Gaza. This country regards Palestinians as vermin. And I think that is a much more plausible reason for as to why children in Gaza may hold hate for the state of Israel. So in summary, we do need to be mindful of these biases and we need to take a meaningful look into ourselves to understand how we are looking at this conflict and how we are constructing Palestinians with regard to their human rights, to regard to their autonomy, that they are not a monolithic people who who consistently hold a hate for the Israeli state. Of course, there are Palestinians who hold hate for Israel, and I would argue that that is 100% justified. Actions against civilians, of course not, but hate for the state that has brutalized you over generations is absolutely justified. And it's not, I think it's such a cop-out to say that it is Hamas that is brainwashing children, when I think in reality, it's their condition that has been imposed on them by this settler colonial project. That is the real reason as to why they hold so much hate toward Israel. So yes, in summary, I think it's very indicative of the sentiment that is so pervasive in Western cultures here toward uh, Islam, toward Arabs, toward Palestinians. And then going forward, um, this is another exchange that I had with somebody over Instagram. And essentially, uh, their rhetoric was that Israel is the most moral army in the world. And you will hear this repeated by Zionists, uh, by the Israeli settler state, by the IDF, by think tanks like AIPAC, that uh, the IDF is the most moral army in the world, that it takes all precautions it possibly can to avoid killing civilians. And my response to that is that you can, you can say that as much as you want. You can parrot that talking point until you sound like a broken record. But the numbers and the research into what the IDF is doing 
for years is not consistent with that take. It's simply not true. If you look at the numbers, Israel has killed more Palestinian civilians than Hamas has killed Israeli civilians. The Israeli army is the one of the most advanced armies in the world. I want to make that point very clear. The Israeli army is one of the most advanced armies in the world. They receive $3.8 billion a year in military aid from the United States. The United States shares military intel with them. They share military innovations. The United States had a huge part in developing the Iron Dome missile interception system that protects Israel proper. Now, one of the most advanced militaries in the world saying that it does not particularly target civilians or it takes every precaution it can to not target civilians. It doesn't make sense when you look at the numbers that they kill more civilians than Hamas does, which Hamas is compared comparatively to the Israeli army, a decentralized movement of what are essentially guerrilla fighters. They are not a they're not funded by the imperial powers of the United States of Canada. They are minuscule compared to the Israeli military, both in sophistication and in size. Now, if the most, one of the most advanced militaries on the world cannot keep civilian popu, cannot keep civilian casualties, sorry, if one of the most sophisticated militaries on the world cannot keep civilian casualties down compared to a group like Hamas, then which one, my question is, which one is it? Are you one of the most sophisticated militaries on the world that should be capable of targeting explicitly militants? Why can't you not kill civilians? That is my question. And the, the answer is right there in front of our faces, is that civilians have always been the target of the IDF. They have always targeted civilian infrastructure they have always used the excuse of Hamas using human shields, of Hamas putting their military bases at schools, hospitals, as a justification for killing civilians. And that is the direct, that is the function of the IDF, is to kill civilians. One of the most advanced armies in the world just simply, simply doesn't make mistakes this consistently in their slaughter of civilians. One of the most advanced armies in the world can target explicitly who they want, being, i.e., purported Hamas fighters. And it just doesn't make sense. So I think when you're parroting this propaganda, you need to decide, is the Israeli military either A, one of the most sophisticated militaries in the world, which means they are then able to explicitly target who they want to kill, or is it B, that they are just simply accidentally killing civilians and they're not one of the most sophisticated military powers in the world. And I, I think it's very hard to make the argument that they're not. They have the fourth largest standing army in the world. They are a nuclear power, the only nuclear power in the region. And it has to be A. If you are a logical person, it is A, 100%. I don't believe that the most moral army in the world would use white phosphorus against civilians. That's not, uh, that's not even anti-Israel, Palestinian propaganda that has been confirmed by Amnesty International, by Human Rights Watch, by the United Nations. Also confirmed by the United Nations and Human Rights Watch, they have used human shields. Particularly, this was confirmed by an article released by Beth Salem, which is an Israeli human rights organization. 
that said that there was a normative method of Israeli soldiers using Palestinians as a human shield that includes both women and children, sending them into sending them into houses to uh, to disarm bombs, holding them in front of their bodies during firefights. Like this is insane. This is insane activity for the supposed most moral army in the world. So in summary, I would say that that narrative is just, it's crazy. It's pure propaganda. It's not grounded in reality. It's untrue. And that is the response that you should give to anybody who tries to tell you that the IDF is the most moral army in the world and that they do not explicitly target civilians because they 100% do. They can say that all they want, but the numbers do not lie. The numbers show. And the last thing I want to talk about here is Israel has the right to defend itself. It is the opening line of every single Zionist advocate. It is the opening line of every single American politician who talks about this issue in public. The opening line is always Israel has the right to defend itself. And that has been consistent. That has been the response to allegations of war crimes. That has been the result to calls to end the apartheid regime is that Israel has a right to defend itself. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think Israeli civilians have the right to be defended from not being killed. Absolutely. But that same sentiment is not reciprocated to Palestinian people. You, there are no political repercussions for going on the news and saying that Israel has a right to defend itself. You can say that and you will be embraced by the left and the right enthusiastically. However, what you cannot say is you cannot go on MSNBC, you cannot go on any news source and say that Palestine has the right to defend itself. Because immediately from there, you are aligned with Hamas, you are anti-Semitic, you want to kill Israelis. And that has been the dominant narrative for a very long time. You cannot say Palestine has the right to defend itself. So that is my response every time, is that people will parrot this talking point. Israel has a right to defend itself. Well, I would say that Palestine also has a right to defend itself. If you want to extend these same human rights to Palestinians that you extend to Israelis, then you have to acknowledge the fact that Palestinians have a right to defend themselves. And I would even argue that Palestinians have more of a right to defend themselves than Israelis. And to justify that point, I'm going to refer to the Geneva Conventions, particularly to Article 47 of the Geneva Conventions that governs the right of military occupation. So the laws surrounding military occupation is that the occupier has an obligation to the people they are occupying. That means that they that the occupation needs to be temporary. That is a big part of the international law surrounding occupation, is that the occupation has to be temporary and it has to be in the best interest of the occupied people. And Israel is Israel is breaking those norms. Gaza is not de jure occupied. It is uh, is de facto occupied, meaning that there's not an official occupation, but the blockade on Gaza amounts to an occupation. So Israel does have an obligation to not bomb these people that it is occupying. You, It's not the same to say that I'm defending myself in a war against an invading power when versus you are defending yourself against the people that you've wantonly chosen to occupy and to oppress for generations. Now, again, in the Geneva Conventions, under a right to self-determination, it is said that an occupied people have a right to resist. This is a people's right when they are living under occupation. You have a right to resist and to resist violently when 
every other avenue has been explored. And believe me, it has. You can look at the 2018 Right to Return March. You can look at the BDS movement. These have been criminalized. These have been quelled with violence. So the Palestinian people 100% have a right to resist the Israeli occupation. They have a right to fight for freedom. They have a right to fight for their liberation, 100%. And international law really does. If you examine international law, Palestine has more of a moral high ground to defend itself than Israel does. That's not anti-Semitic. That's not anti-Israel. That is simply taking international law into account. And of course, there are so many other pieces of propaganda that we can touch on. We could probably spend hours talking about these logical fallacies, these pieces of propaganda that are used to justify the genocide, the brutalization of Palestinian people. We could talk about them for hours, but that's what we're going to talk about today. I hope you took something into account. I hope you learned something. I hope you go and Google things. Honestly, that is the best way to unseating your biases is listen to Palestinian activists. Uh, do your research. Understand international law and the norms of that. Uh, thank you for listening. Always in solidarity and struggle. I'll see you next time.